If you're watching on live stream right now, a word in advance, and for everybody who's thinking next week you're going to watch live stream. Next week's service will not be live streamed, but there's a reason for it. It won't work. The reason it won't work is we are doing something totally different in here next Sunday morning. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to show up, but our acts live stream it. It's going to be the final Sunday of our Acts refreshed look at Acts next Sunday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be experiential, and you're going to love it. It's going to be meaningful. Yes, we are going to love it. So that's next Sunday here. And so um, if you thought, oh, I'm going to go to the lake and watch church on TV, it won't be happening because it just won't work. So we're just going to have a thing that says, uh, sorry. Wish you were with us, but there's nothing we can do to show it because it wouldn't work to do it on live screen. On live stream. So, otherwise, we're going to have a great time um, next Sunday. Have you been enjoying the Acts series? Good. Have you been? Don't lie to me. Have you been reading the Book of Acts? All right. Good. I believe you. Um, Josh and Sam shared a uh, article with us the other day about America and the state of people's um, willingness to engage in learning through reading. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like, do you remember how many people never read one book after high school? Do you remember it all? Like 47, 50% of people never read one book after high school. Not one book after high school. And there are other stats in there that are even more alarming, saying that as Americans, we don't read anything. And so we also know this, that through Pew Research, which is an a organization that does studies, and Barna Research, that most Christians now don't hardly ever read their Bible. That, in times past, people did. Now, I'm going to have a little, I have a little slant on it. I think part is culture, but I think part of it is this, and this is just, you're going to say, he's such an old fuddy-duddy. Hold, hold that rectangular thing up once. The phone. I have no problem with having our scriptures on a phone. I have none. But I think what there's a correlation between not having the book and not reading it. I think there's a correlation. And our studies are saying it. So I'm going to challenge you to do this as we've been reading Acts. If you don't have a Bible, we have all kinds of free ones for you at church. Now, I did find this out. And this is something I learned because I'm getting old. We need to buy new Bibles. Those are ones we always give away for free. Um, if your eyes aren't great, you can't read them. They're like mice type. So we realized, I, 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 one, 13 years ago, we always started buying those. When I came here, we started filling the pews up with, chair, with Bibles, up with the pews with, or the chairs up with Bibles, giving away. So we always have ordered the same Bibles forever. I haven't looked at them in 13 years. And I had something happen with me a little while ago. We were doing a funeral and something got messed up, and a person was supposed to read a text in the funeral here, and the person got up here and did not even know what they were reading or where it was in the Bible. And I have my notes, but I don't have a physical Bible with me. So I grabbed a pew Bible, I opened it up, and I could not see what it said on the page. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. So I flipped through it, and I was just going to Psalm 23. It was pretty easy. The person had, I don't think, ever read a Bible in their life. And I found it like this, even on my bifocals, and they read it. But here's the deal. Um, reading the scripture, whether you read it on a phone or you read it in a regular Bible, I don't care. 
This is God's living word. It's life. It's, it's, it's hope. It's not, no, here's the deal. It's not to be worshipped. Some people get the idea like they worship the Bible. You don't worship the Bible. We worship God. But God communicated to humankind, inspired people to write what we have in here. So I'm so happy to hear that so many of you have been reading the Bible during this time and just keep up the good work. So let's look at this first thing, looking into a text of the Bible. We're going to, next, again, next week's the last one, but this is the, the last one I call regular sermon, okay, from Acts. And so we have to, there's no way we could not end by using the verse that is the verse that is literally the outline for the entire book of Acts. We've mentioned that a few times in the last three months. We're going to start with Acts 1.8. And you should probably be able to quote it by now. I know I, I can, but I'd probably say something wrong, so I'm going to read it. So Acts 1.8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. This is the verse that outlines a whole couple of really important things. There's a bunch upon its explanation of this verse. And there's a couple of really important things. There's a bunch of things, but there's two things in particular today that I want us to understand as we're, as we're wrapping up the regular preaching part of the book of Acts. The first one is this, and it's from Acts 1.8, from this text, is that God's supernatural activity. Now, the supernatural activity of God is, is accomplished through whom? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit. So the God's supernatural activity, which is accomplished through the Holy Spirit, is tied to advancing the mission of God. You shall, be my, you shall, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses to all these different places at the end of the earth. So God's supernatural activity through the Holy Spirit is tied to advancing the mission of God. The Holy Spirit is involved in the mission of God, and the mission of God is primarily this big picture, seeking and saving the lost. Go into all the world and preach the gospel of all creation. So the, so the spirit, the supernatural activity of God, the Holy Spirit's activity, is tied to advancing the mission of God, and the mission of God is seeking and saving the lost. That's the first thing we get from Acts 1.8. The second thing is this, and it's how we need to, what we're going to talk about today. It's this. It says in the text, and you shall be my witnesses. So the supernatural activity of God is of advancing the mission of God involves you and me being witnesses for God. This is what we're going to spend our time on today. That the activity of God, supernatural activity of God, of advancing the mission of God, seeking and saving the lost, involves you and me being Christians, being witnesses for God. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Look at the person next to you and say, the Holy Spirit is empowering me. That's the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit empowers you and me for what? To be witnesses. What's a witness? So we use churchy terms sometimes. You're sitting here, you're going, well, what's that really mean? It means exactly what it says it means if you went to a court of law. A witness is someone who gives a first-hand account of something. So a witness is a person who says, yeah, I was standing on the street corner when the car ran the stop. Suzanne had this one time. When the car ran the red light and T-boned another car. She was the witness. She stayed there and she gave the police reports. 
Because she was a witness. She said, no, that guy was looking down. I watched him look down and run right through the red light and crush the other car. She was a witness. That's what a witness is. So when the scriptures say, you shall be my witnesses, what is it saying that we're going to give a first-hand account of? Because that's what a witness is. He didn't say you're going to be theological explanations, explainers of the, of the theology of God in the world. Is that what he says? No, he says you're going to be witnesses. So what can we be witnesses? What can we give a first-hand account of? We can give a first-hand account of who Jesus is because of how he's affected our lives. We give a first-hand account of the reality of Jesus Christ because of his reality in our own lives. The reason the Holy Spirit empowers us is so we can effectively tell others how Jesus has affected us. That Jesus is real in our lives and he's made a difference. Does that make sense? So let's think about the big picture then of the book of Acts and see how this works out, how Acts 1.8 says it works out. Really, the big picture of all the book of Acts, you've read it maybe three times now in the last three months. This is, this is the book of Acts in a nutshell. Is people hearing about Jesus in all different ways. There's like one day, day of Pentecost, another time people are getting released out of prison, and another time, you know, God talks to Cornelius and God talks to Peter and they tell him. But basically, here's the picture. And it's Paul going around the world. Basically, the big picture of Acts is people hearing about Jesus and being converted, becoming followers of Jesus. And those people then telling others about Jesus, who then become his followers, and then they tell other people about Jesus. And that's why Acts 1 8 is talking about this expansion from one place to the next place to the next place. This exchange between people started in Jerusalem. It spread to Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the... Because when this was written, no one even knew the earth, and it has continued to spread to the remotest parts of the earth, because when this was written, no one even knew there was a place that we would someday call Wisconsin. Right? No one even knew there was a North America that lived over there. So it's spread. Acts records the spread of Christianity from Jews, because it was all Jewish people, to Gentiles. Remember, that's Paul's ministry recorded in Acts, that Paul was a Jewish rabbi who gets converted, and the Jews hate him for it, and they try to kill him constantly, and he keeps outrunning them and preaching about Jesus everywhere, and he finally says, I'm shaking the dust off my feet to you Jews, and I'm just going to the Gentiles. And he goes and he spreads the gospel everywhere. So it's a spread of, of, Judy, of Christianity from Jews to Gentiles and from the Jewish epicenter of Jerusalem to the, all the then known world. So when we look at the big picture of Acts, we see that a normal part of the Christian life was them, the Christian people, the ones who met Jesus, telling other people about Jesus and expanding the kingdom of God. In fact, those people in the book of Acts, if we could resurrect one of them today and talk to them, I believe they would say this. They could never have even imagined the idea that someone would believe that their Christianity was just their personal faith. It's kind of what's the big deal right now in our culture. Oh, it's just your personal faith. Don't tell anybody else about it. It's just my personal faith, right? You have to have heard that, correct? Yeah. They couldn't even conceive of the fact that somebody would say, It is their personal faith. 
because they knew the Holy Spirit had empowered them to be witnesses of who Jesus is and what he had done for them. So now, when we think about witnessing about what Jesus had done in their lives, we come to, in my opinion, a dilemma. Because I think there's a dilemma here that I'm explaining in a minute. I didn't see for years, but I see a dilemma now. And here's, let me explain the dilemma. Since Acts is structured around Acts 1.8, taking the gospel of, to all these new people groups, because no one had ever heard the message of Christ because it had never been told before because Jesus had just come and died and rose from the dead, that most of the examples, because it's all brand new, most of the examples of being witnesses comes from the apostles and the church leaders. That almost all the, that you've been reading for the last three months and almost all the sermons we've been preaching about have been examples of apostles, and we'll explain that in a minute, and church leaders spreading the gospel from person to person to person. So we find, actually find Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost to thousands of people. Who in this room wants to sign up today to preach to thousands of people? Zero. You know they say the number one fear people have is the fear of public speaking? Isn't it funny? The fear of public speaking is greater than their fear of death. Because you feel like you're going to die when you're public speaking a lot of times. You know, so, so here's the deal. People are afraid of public speaking. The idea of standing in front of thousands and thousands of people and speaking, man, that's, that's a little concerning. That's a little scary, right? So we find Peter preaching to thousands. We also, in the scriptures, we find Philip who the Bible says Philip's an evangelist. So remember, these, like being an apostle, being an evangelist, being a pastor, teacher, these are spiritual giftings, that we all have spiritual gifts. Every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, has been given. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you've been given specific spiritual gifts to use for the the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom. And so Philip, his gift was he was Philip, an evangelist. We all do evangelism, but Philip was a, a person with the spiritual gift of evangelism. We find Philip the Evangelism taking the gospel to the Samaritans. So he goes to a totally different a, a, a people group who's their enemies, and he preaches the gospel. We also find, and this is what half the book of Acts is written about, the apostle Paul, who goes from Saul to Paul. And what the basic premise of Paul's life after being in isolation, learning about God, having revelations of Jesus, he basically spends the rest of his life going from city to city and eventually country to country, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. That's what he does. These are the people selected by God to take the gospel message to new people in new areas. And the term we have for that is apostolic ministry. An apostle is the technical, the real term of definition of an apostle is someone sent with authority to establish. That's what an apostle is. So, so Paul's an apostle. He's sent with the authority of God to establish the, not all missionaries, but missionaries who go and an apostle. Our modern day understanding that would be a missionary. Not all missionaries, but missionaries who go and plant churches in Kiev, Ukraine, who went and did church planting, worked with church planting in, in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. That's, that's a missionary, that's, that's an apostolic ministry. You're sent by the church with authority from God and the church to establish ministries that, extend, that would bring people to Christ and expand the kingdom of God. That's the apostolic ministry. Um, and most of these people we find here are functioning in an apostolic ministry. Now here's where the dilemma comes in. Here's the dilemma if you're not seeing it yet. And I didn't see it forever. What about everybody else? 
What about everybody else who doesn't have that kind of apostolic or specific, like Philip's an evangelist, Paul's an apostle. What about everybody else? What about the non-apostle Christian? What about the person who's called by God to run a business? Some of you are. You're called by God to run a business, and you're staying here. And I can't, I'm not saying you couldn't have the apostle, apostleship on you, that ministry, but primarily you're called to run a business. That's your, your calling in life, and God's going to use you through that to, to do glory and wonderful things for his, his kingdom. Or what if God's calling on your life is, is to be a farmer? And to plant the crop and stay there till harvest time year after year after year and gather in so that you and I don't starve to death. God calls some people to do that kind of stuff. What if God's call to you is he supernaturally gifted you to be the best mother or father in the world so that you raise a family and you live in a small town or you live in a big town and, and, you, and you invest into your kids and, and your gifting is, is being part of a local church. What if that's your call? You see, for years, I didn't see the dilemma here. Because as one called by God to preach the gospel wherever wherever he sent me, I just identified with Paul and Peter and Philip. Just go wherever God sends you, tell everybody you meet, and expect others to do the same thing. So that's how I presented evangelism. Just go out and do it. But most people who are followers of Jesus and have been empowered. You said it to each other. You've been empowered. It says, you, if you're a follower, you have been empowered to be a witness. Most people who have been empowered, and if you're a believer, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness, won't ever function in an apostolic manner. They won't. You won't preach to crowds of strangers or go to distant lands, and everybody said, Amen. You won't have to stand in front of thousands of people and preach. You won't have to probably really talk to strangers probably about it. I mean, people that you don't know their language, you don't know their language, you probably won't have to do that. How then does the bulk of the body of Christ fulfill this normal part of Christianity? Of simply, it's assumed, it's said, Acts 1.8 says it's for all of us. The supernatural activity of God is tied to the mission of God, and he says the mission of God is accomplished by us being empowered to be witnesses. How then does the bulk of the body of Christ fulfill this normal part of Christianity of telling other people about Jesus? Let's look at some situations from the book of Acts that give us a glimpse into how the, I'm going to say this, I don't mean this derogatorily, the average person. doesn't mean less than. There's less, non-apostolic, non-evangelist is not less than. The Bible is clear. Every person in the body is of equal importance and every single one is essential. Here's the deal. You don't need that many mouths. You need a lot more ears. So he only calls a few of us to be the mouth. And somebody else is a servant. Somebody else is a giver. And somebody else is a helper. And somebody else is a teacher. Fill in the blank. So let's look at some people who don't have that apostolic calling and see what Acts says about them. So grab your Bible. We're going to look at three different really short sections of Scripture. Start on Acts chapter 10. And some of these stories, or most of these we're going to read, are in the middle of stories we've already read in other sermons. So you're probably aware of the, of the setting. So Acts chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius and Peter having both visions at the same time that tells them to get together so that Peter can tell Cornelius the gospel. Because Cornelius is a, is a Roman soldier who doesn't know the gospel. Matter of fact, Acts 10 was my most challenging sermon in this whole thing because it made me realize that God, remember, I said, we talked about how God chose the person of the other extreme party. 
be the first convert to, to Judaism. The opposite of the zealot followers of Jesus, they picked the Roman soldier who was fighting against them to become the first. It says, they said, and so this is Acts chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 22 to 27. It says, they said, Cornelius, the people around him, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and a God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by the holy angel to send for you, that's Peter, to send for Peter, to come to his house to hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. On the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Flip over a couple more pages to Acts 16. Acts 16, verses 27 to 33. Talking about Paul and Silas are in jail. Earthquake happens. Their, prison, their, their shackles, the doors open, their shackles are off, and they're going, they, they could escape, and the jailer thinks they've all escaped. They're in the middle of that story. 27. When the jailer awoke after the earthquake, and saw the prison doors opened and drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. One more thing. Flip over one page to Acts 18, verse 8. A guy named Crispus, a leader of the synagogue. Verse 8, just one verse. Crispus. The leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, he was the leader in the town of Corinth, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. We'll stop right there. Did you notice similarities in these stories? Remember, remember, these are non-apostle people. These are the average people. Their families and friends, what do they do? The average people gathered together their family and friends so they could hear the gospel message. Now, we understand that most of these, every one of these stories, in fact, are, these people are hearing the gospel themselves for the first time. So they gather their family, they gather their friends to hear the gospel from another person, in this case, mainly apostles, that would have then that would have had been necessary because they were just hearing the truth and learning the truth for the first time. But there's an underlying principle that we need to get here. And it's this. The way the people of the early church approached being his witness was they took responsibility for their own mission field. 
In every one of these cases, they gathered the people around them that were close to them so that they could learn the truth of the gospel. They took responsibility for their own mission. They could have just listened by themselves, but like think of Cornelius, he gathered everybody, and the jailer, all his family, and Crispus, himself, and the people of the city. You know, it's on purpose that it says Cornelius gathered his relatives and his close friends. God's trying to show us a pattern. It's on purpose that it says the Philippian jailer gathered his household. It's on purpose that the Holy Spirit inspired and it's recorded that it says Crispus, the synagogue leader, influenced his household and the people of his city. The principle here is they took responsibility for their own mission fields. They understood that it was their responsibility to help those that they knew and were in proximity to to come to know about Jesus. Not responsible for them to come into relationship with Christ. They're responsible for them to understand the truth about Jesus and how they respond was then up to them. So in the early stage of the spread of the church, they brought someone to share the gospel with their family and friends. And as they grew in their relationship with Christ, they would have simply explained what Jesus had done for them to those they knew because they knew the Spirit had empowered them to reach their own people. They knew that the author, his name is Michael Green, God, to reach their own people. There's an author, his name is Michael Green, in a book he wrote on evangelism called Evangelism in the Early Church. And Michael Green makes, I think, an incredibly insightful observation. He's referring to this text here about how the early Christians spread their faith. He says this, This must often have been not formal preaching. Remember, they're not, they're not apostles. But the informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes and shops, on walks and around the market stalls. They were, listen to this, they were everywhere gossiping the gospel. What would be different if we didn't gossip, gossip and dirt, but we gossiped the gospel? How much better would the word be? They were gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, and with conviction. Listen, of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously and the movement spread. Friends, there is something that we need to understand here. God's plan for you reaching your friends and family is you. You are not a mistake. You are not in your family by accident. You do not live where you live by chance. God if we believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible, it says God places you where he wants you to be. You can rebel against it. You can be a Jonah. You see how that turns out. You don't want to be a Jonah. You want to follow God when he's leading you. But most of us are doing our best to follow the will of God. And you are therefore exactly where God wants you to be. The job you have is not a coincidence. God may have you change it someday, but he has you there on purpose. Because It's your mission field. He created you for it. He empowered you by his spirit for it. And you need to hear, you need to hear something else from Green here. That's just not that you're there. There's such another powerful, important truth that Green says. He says that they will listen to you more than they will listen to me because you aren't paid to preach. Here's what I've noticed 31 years of being a lead pastor. When people are in a situation about sharing the gospel with somebody, they always want to ask me to come and help them do it. I, hundreds of times. And I always tell people, they'll listen to you more than they'll listen to me. 
They go, oh, no, no, you say it better. I said, no, I don't. You hear it every single week. Every week you hear this stuff. Every day you're reading your Bible. Every day you're reading your Bible. Every moment you have the Holy Spirit. They will listen to you more than they listen to me because often people believe that pastors have a vested interest. Even though I don't think we really do. Maybe we do sometimes. But it's in, i got to build the church that I'm pastoring. And so they think you're doing it for an ulterior reason, an ulterior motive. You're doing it, they think, because you have a vested interest in getting them in the group. But guess what? If you're not employed by the church, you have no vested interest outside of love and concern. So in my opinion, your voice is a stronger voice, is a better voice, is a more effective voice than my voice. Now, in certain settings, when we want to explain Scripture, God created, I believe, the Bible says it from the very beginning, we have churches that gather like this, and certain people who are called with certain callings and giftings stand up and explain things, and we call it preaching. It's a monologue. It's different than a dialogue that you're going to have with another person. And so God uses both. But you know what? You are the key element in the whole thing because people do not believe that you have an ulterior motive. You have no vested interest because you don't, not one of you woke up this morning. Did any one of you wake up this morning and say, boy, it's, it's Labor Day weekend. I bet you're going to have really small attendance in church. One. Did you? Did you? Did you? I did. Did you? Pastor, 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 pastor. We all got up this morning and said, guess what? It's Labor Day weekend, small attendance. We're thinking of it. It actually affects us. You got up and said, I don't care what the attendance is. I like the worship. I like the sermon. I like whatever. That's why I'm going. This is my family. I like the people. I like to play my guitar. There's a difference. And people will tend to listen to you more than they'll listen to the pastor in a relationship, a friendship. Pastor, in my race, Pastor Paul, you might do the same thing, Pastor Mitch. I don't ever tell anybody I'm a pastor. In my relationships outside of here, if you ever meet me and I'm with, engaging with other people, they rarely know I'm a pastor. Because if they think I'm a pastor, they won't listen to me. They go from cussing about politics to talking about world peace. God is my witness. Everything changes. He's a reverend. I'm sorry, I swore, pastor. Every time. I'm like, why are you sorry to me? You know? That's the reality. That's what Green is getting at here. You are empowered by the Spirit of God to reach your, your, reach your mission field. It's not you on your own. It's God working through you. You are God's avenue into the spiritual lives of those you know. What an awesome revelation for us to get. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, that revelation that says God's plan is to use me to influence my people group, my, my community, my family, my friends. God, and it's not just, he didn't just throw me out there. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit to do it. So once we understand this and embrace it, what do we do next? Well, first of all, and a little sidebar, we're going to be doing a three or four or five week series on this, not exactly planned out yet, later this year, before the end of the year, on, on how do we tell our family and friends about Jesus without being that guy. 
That's the way we're going to approach it without being that guy. That guy who, and everybody sees them, they run the other direction. What do we do? First of all, all of us need to live as followers of Jesus. Not on Sunday morning. The worst thing we can do with our sphere of influence is to talk the talk without walking the walk without living out the reality of your faith. And I'm going to tell, faith, I'm going to tell you this way, 24-7, 365. We live it out every day. Last week we talked about this, that the gospel is both truth and proof. The proof part is the doorway to the truth part. So we need to show those close, and the friends, those closest to you are the ones watching you the most. And especially when you say, hey, I got Jesus now, they're watching for you to screw up on purpose so they can discount what you have. So we have to evolve of all situations, be the most concerned, not legally, but legalistically, but because of, of just, we want to be authentic of living the reality of our relationship. So when there's Conflict and schisms in the family. And does anybody's family not have them? Because if you have no schisms in your family, you're not dealing with human beings. Because we're flawed. But that we walk through it, not fighting like the rest of the world. We act like Jesus in the situation. We put others ahead of ourselves. We stop being selfish. We do it the way that we, we live, we live um, in ways that reveal the love and the heart of Jesus. So our closest friends and families can see us. So we do what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We walk in a way we live like Jesus. We're not perfect. We make mistakes, but we do our best. We make mistakes. You want to act godly? Apologize for your mistake. Boy, pretty Christian principle. You can do this. I ain't telling them anything. Then you're acting like everybody else who doesn't know Jesus. But if you're the one in the family, you know who the peacemaker in our whole family is, extended both sides? She's a peacemaker. People see Jesus because there's conflict. A lot of times I tend to react instead of act. Anybody else like that? You react instead of act? God wants us to act instead of react. Suzanne helps me with that. Anybody remember, we did a study years ago, and if you weren't here, maybe you did it somewhere else, a book, we did a workbook called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. We've used it as part of a discipleship program for years. We just, just discontinued using it about a, week, a year ago. Henry Blackaby's, and it's, it's excellent. Um, his, his, he's helping us understand how to engage in the work of God, and he basically re- it reminds us that God is always at work around us, that God is always accomplishing his mission. And he wants us to join him in his activity of reaching our family and friends because it's the will of God. So he's saying God's always at work. We don't have to wonder if God's at work. God's always at work. So what do we do? We look for God's activity in the lives of those who you interact with. You're often seeing the activity of God in their world. So what we're doing is we're walking through our family and friends. And Crispus was looking in a city in Corinth. We look at the people around us, our coworkers. We look for, are they talking about spiritual things 
or are they having struggles in their life? And those are the two main things. So in struggles, you say, how are you doing? And they can open up opportunities. And when they talk about things, it's, you don't understand. Sometimes they'll say to you, someone just told me about it. It was Brian. We were talking. And he said, a coworker said to him after a while, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. What are they doing? They're opening up the door for you to have a conversation with them. That's what we're doing. We live our lives just looking for those opportunities. And those are the people you focus on. Take time to talk to them. Tell them your story. Because remember, a witness is what? A first, you give them a first-hand account on how Jesus is, has helped you. Also do things like invite them to church or to a small group, to a baseball game when we have it. So they can, why? They can experience the presence of God among the people of God. There's something unique about the experience of God when we gather together. So answer their questions. You don't know their answer, say, I'll try to get an answer for you. Show them the love of Jesus. That's how we partner with God. What we're doing, and here's a really important concept, we're watching, we're looking for ripe fruit. This will help you because some of you are trying to pick fruit that's not ripe. We're looking for those who are really ready to talk and engage and they're, on, they're open to the path of becoming into relationship with Jesus. You're looking for who in your crowd, uh, of the crowd of your life is open to things you're talking about spiritually because not everyone is. The people who are open, that's your harvest field. Too often what we do, especially in our family relationships, is we try to harvest unripe fruit. We try to pick apples. Now, I know some apples stay green, a Granny Smith, but most, so say a red delicious. You are trying to pick a red delicious when it's still green. You're trying to force it and pick it before it's time. And all that happens if you do that with your family members is you will harden their hearts more against God. If you're constantly pounding on them about the things of God, and they've, very, they've made it very clear to you. Some of your relatives may be like mine. They say something like this. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. Guess what? Shut up. They don't want to hear it. So what do you do? Number one we talked about. Live in a manner worthy of your kind. Keep going out of your way. Giver. Keep being the peacemaker. Keep being the lover. Keep being generous. Keep being kind. Keep going out of your way. Keep putting everybody else first. Keep doing those things, and you'll do that. They will see Jesus, and then when they're ready, they know when you try it another time, somehow, very subtly, talk to them, they might respond. Here's what you have to remember in the process. God loves your lost family members more than you do. He does. He's the one doing the work. You don't save anyone. No one. He's doing the work. He just uses people in his agency, in his activity of doing the work. So you're part of it. You're a vital part of it. The work doesn't get done without you and me. Remember, he gave the Holy Spirit to the church so that we can be witnesses. Why? So that people can come to faith in Christ. And so with your family members... God's the one doing the work. We're just part of it. We're vital. It won't happen without us, but don't try to pick fruit that's not yet ripe. It will, it will cause them to be dig their feet in longer and harder. So give them time. Be patient. Be loving. Remember that God is the one who's at work with them, and, but to know that he placed you on purpose in your family because he's going to use you to help them. So own your high and holy calling. Take it seriously. 
Be continually available to God when he shows you whose life he is working in. Partner with him. So, you don't have to be an apostolic minister. You don't have to be a gifted evangelist. A lot of times we've used that as an excuse to say, well, therefore, I don't have to do anything. No. We all are empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach our friends and family members for Christ. God uses everyone. He wants to use you to embrace your high and holy calling of joining him in the work of God so that your friends, family members, co-workers, and people who live around you can come to know him. You can be a Cornelius or a Crispus. Average everyday people who influence other people and the people in their family came to know Jesus. Their friends came to know Jesus. Any one of us can do that because it's God's plan. Amen? When the worship team come this morning. We're going to take a moment and we're going to ask God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That who in our circle might be ready, might be open for our attempt to talk to them about him. So let's join our let's join together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see from your word that you have called us to be your kids, that we didn't do anything about it. That you, Lord, desire for our friends and our family members and the rest of the people of our whole community co-workers to be saved. And that the whole structure that we've looked at for these three months now in the book of Acts really revolves around the fact that that your plan is that the gospel, the kingdom of God just continues to expand and expand and expand and expand. And it happens through people gossiping the gospel to those they know and love, to those they meet on a street corner, and those they work next to at work. And so, Lord, this is our prayer right now. You know your activity and we don't. And so, Lord, in these these moments right now, I ask you, if you would right now in in the depth of our heart, show us someone. Bring their name to our mind. Make their their face appear in our thinking. Somebody that just might be ready. That even the fighter, maybe they're they're like the apostle Paul, who was the the fighter against the church, and in one encounter with you became the great apostle. that they're ready. There's something inside of them that they're ready. That we can in love and in grace go to them and just tell them what you did for us. Maybe again, maybe for the first time. 
and just say what you're doing in our lives, how you've made a difference. Because, Lord, we see that. You didn't say you called us to be preachers. It said you called us to be witnesses, to tell about what we know firsthand. So, Lord, bring those faces to our mind right now. Bring those faces, bring those names to our heart right now. Also, Lord, in prayer right now, maybe you're here and you've not yet said yes to Jesus. That maybe somebody else, as they're praying, you're the face that God's laying on their heart. And today you recognize that you need a Savior. You're tired of doing it on your own. You're tired of going it alone. It's not working. You look at your life and somebody says, how's it going for you? And you say, it ain't working. Maybe you have all the resources in the world, but you lay in bed at night, it ain't working. Maybe for the first time, you're really serious about saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you've kind of casually said yes in the past, but, but it's never been all in. It's never been all in. It's always just been on your terms. Today, the Spirit of the Lord that is in this place is speaking to your heart and you're ready to say, I want to be all in. If that's you right now, just inside of your own heart and soul, you can just say, Jesus, I need you and I want you. I don't want to be my own God anymore. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. Jesus, thank you that you gave your very life to set me free from the curse of sin and death. You paid the price that I deserve to pay. And so my sins are forgiven when I come to you, and today I come to you ask you make me one of your own welcome me into your family make me brand new and so Jesus thank you for your goodness thank you for your love and your mercy and today give my life to you. If you've done that today, friends, I just challenge you before the, your head hits the pillow tonight that you think in your mind of the person that you know that is a serious follower of Jesus. And you tell them, you know what? I very seriously said yes to Jesus today. Because then what it does is it cements it in your heart and it gives them the opportunity to walk with you in your journey of growing in Jesus.
For the rest of you, if God brought a name or a face to your mind, ask him how this week, this week, before next Sunday, you could take some action to try to meet with them and and just kind of see if they'll argue about it. Back off. See if they're open. Don't ever argue about it. See if they're open to the things of God. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this closing song, then I'll come back and close our service. If you'd like to pray, it's a song singing, find a place to pray. You're welcome to come forward. If you would like prayer, um, myself and our prayer team members will be up here to pray with you. Feel free to come up and pray.